Well, good morning, everyone. I'm so happy to be back with you all this week. I first want to begin by thanking Pastor Kai for bringing us the word last Sunday. If you weren't able to watch the sermon last week, uh, we still have every sermon uploaded on our church uh, Facebook page since we began streaming our, our church services. And this morning, I'm excited to start a new sermon series from the book of 1 Peter. Now, obviously, 1 Peter was written by the Apostle Peter. Peter wrote this letter to give us an insight look at the realities of the Christian life. This letter by Peter was not so much about what Christians believe, but more so on how Christians should live. In the two letters that Peter wrote to the church, and he wrote two, which are 1 Peter and 2 Peter, Peter is sharing all that he had learned through the grace of God on how to live a victorious life in the Lord. Like the other disciples who wrote the New Testament, Peter was also facing great and extreme persecution, and so was the church to who he was writing to. And Peter wrote these two letters to the church when the emperor of Rome by the name of Nero was killing anyone who professed faith in Jesus Christ. Now, Peter became a man who once lived in fear to a man who now lived fearlessly, boldly, and victorious in the Lord. And that is what I hope the Lord can get across to all of us throughout this sermon series. How do we become people of faith who live fearlessly, boldly, and victorious? despite the circumstances affecting our lives. In 1 Peter, Peter is writing to the church in order to comfort Christians in the midst of their suffering due to the extreme persecution that they were all under. Now, so far, thankfully, in this country, Christians are not suffering from extreme persecution, or at least not yet. But all people, in some form or another, will suffer in this world, or will experience suffering, even in a free country like ours, the United States. We all deal with stresses and anxieties in life, such as maybe losing a job, not having enough money to pay the bills, or getting sick. There are plenty of troubles we will all face in this world at any given time. And we should never try to minimize our troubles or compare our troubles to other people because each of our troubles that we come through or trials that we experience are personal and real and do cause us to suffer. I say that because it's easy for someone to say to you when you are going through some trial or difficulties, to try to compare that to someone else's difficulties. For instance, they'll say, well, I know you are going through a hard time right now, but it could be worse. Think about the Christians in the Middle East who are dying for their faith. Now, of course, we should be thinking and praying for Christians who are being persecuted around the world. But what they are going through 
has no bearing on what you are going through personally. And God knows that. God is not comparing our trials and our troubles between each other. God cares about each one of us. He cares about the Christians in the Middle East that are under extreme persecution, and he cares about the trials and troubles that we're under here in this, own, in this country where we have freedoms. Because God wants to comfort us through all our trials, through all our troubles, through our suffering. Now anyway, pay attention as we get into 1 Peter here to the first thing Peter writes to believers in 1 Peter chapter 1. And remember the suffering they were all under. And again, don't compare what you may be going through, whatever trial you may be going through, to theirs. Because Peter is still speaking to us today through this. Even though those Christians were experiencing great suffering, great persecution, these words still apply to us today. Peter writes in verse 1 of 1 Peter, To God's elect, strangers in the world scattered throughout Pontus Thania, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. And then Peter goes on in verse 3 and 5 and writes, 3 through 5 and writes, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. <coughs> now, this is not a normal way we would comfort someone who is going through a very difficult time. Now, what I mean by that is this. If I was to go up to someone who is going through some difficulties or having some trials in their life and just say, it's all going to be okay. I know you lost your job. I know that you are sick. But don't worry. You have a new birth and a living hope and you have an inheritance that can never perish. That person would probably look at me and say, what are you talking about, Mike? I just lost my job, or I'm very sick and I'm dying. It doesn't seem like everything is going to be okay. But we have to understand who Peter wrote this letter to. This letter, again, was written to Christians who understood exactly what Peter is referring to and the hope he is reminding them of. Now, for the unbeliever, we can't start there. As believers, we can't be speaking to people about a living hope or a new birth until they get to know who Jesus Christ is for their life, who has already come, overcome any difficulties that this world can throw at us. Now, as a Christian myself, I need to be continually reminded of this living hope. Because it's easy for me to get too focused on all that is wrong 
in the world or in this life while forgetting about the inheritance that God has stored up for me and stored up for all believers in heaven through the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And that is why Paul is, or Peter is reminding the church of God's grace and his great mercy at the start of this letter. For the unbeliever, though, they need to receive that grace. They need to receive that great mercy first. Now, I'm going to stop here just for a moment and speak to anyone out there who is not in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because if I don't stop here, the rest of this sermon, and sermon series for that matter, will not make much sense to you. I know you can't respond to me personally to this question I'm about to ask because obviously we're online. But I still want to ask you, do you know Jesus Christ? I'm not asking whether you know about Jesus or heard of him or, or read about him. I'm asking, do you know him personally? Because Jesus knows you. He has known you before you were ever in your mother's womb. And he chose to die for you before you were even born. To give you that new birth in him alone. That is who Peter is writing to in these verses. To the elect. The elect are those who received this new birth in Christ. Now don't make the mistake in thinking that the elect that Peter is referring to are just those certain Bible-thumping Christians. <coughs> because those Christians are sinners just like you. And God chose them. And he chose you. The only difference between them and you, if you're not in this relationship with Jesus, is that they accepted the gift. You see, God, through Jesus Christ, is handing you a gift. That gift is his grace through Jesus Christ, who chose to die on a cross for your sins and rose again three days later so you can rise again in him and receive your inheritance in heaven. Now you may ask, how do I receive this gift? You first need to come to the cross. And I don't mean literally come to the cross. I mean come to Jesus. Gaze upon why Jesus chose to die for you in the first place. He chose to die for you because your sin separated you from a holy God who loves you too much to leave you where you are. God the Father sent his Son, Jesus Christ, to pay the penalty for your sin so you can be seen as spotless in the eyes of the Father. Come to the mercy of Jesus Christ. You don't need me, by the way, to lead you in a prayer. You can pray yourself. 
There's no special way to do this except to say, Jesus, I need you in my life. Jesus, I want a relationship with you. Jesus, I'm a sinner. Will you forgive me? And I can tell you that he will. He will. And at that moment, he will adopt you into the family of God to be called at that specific moment. He didn't do anything to earn it. He will just say, you are my child. You are my elect. At that moment, you will be risen by the risen Christ to receive this new life, this new birth, this living hope that can never perish, never spoil, fade, or be taken away from you. If you want that relationship, again, just pray. And if you've said that prayer, if you prayed and talked to God before this sermon's over or even later after this sermon is over, would you let us know? Would you make that confession publicly? Jesus said, those who deny me, I will deny them. Don't deny Christ. Let people know, I've decided. I made the decision. You can comment on this Facebook video by simply writing, I made the decision. Now going back to the words written by the Apostle Peter to Christians, Peter begins by comforting the believers by reminding them of the great salvation that they have received. But next Peter is going to teach the believer how to respond and live through the painful trials and sufferings that they are enduring. I want to skip ahead to 1 Peter chapter 4 for just a moment and listen to what Peter says about this. In chapter 4, verse 12, he says, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Now, I skipped ahead briefly to chapter 4 because in this letter, Paul gives us a picture of what God wants to get across to the Christian believer. You see, there is a misconception out there that once a person has given their life to Jesus Christ, then everything in their life is going to go great from that moment on. Unfortunately, there are even preachers out there who will tell you if you remain faithful to God, give up sin, help the poor, give a bunch of money to the church, then everything in your life is going to go great. Now, I don't know where these preachers come up with this stuff, but I can tell you they're not taking it from the Bible. As a matter of fact, oftentimes, life can get even more difficult for the Christian believer according to God's word. There is even evidence that we see all around us or when we watch the evening news of the persecuted Christians around the world. Tell them that everything is going great. Tell them that they're going to get rich because they have faith. Man, that's just terrible, terrible theology. But even here in the United States where life is, is pretty good, no one in this world, even Christians, are going to escape trials in life. Now, I just shared the gospel, the good news, with those who don't know Jesus. And if you gave your life to Jesus just moments ago, praise God. Your life is definitely going to change for the better if you continue to follow Jesus. But I'm not going to stand up here 
and lie to you and tell you now you won't have any difficulties in your life. You're going to get a great job or you're going to get that job back you lost or you're going to make lots of money or you're going to be healed from that disease that you have. Now I'm not saying that we shouldn't pray for good things to happen to us because God will respond to our prayers but not always in the way we think he should respond. Preachers who preach that message are preaching a false gospel. It's a me-centered gospel that they preach. Now, God does have your best interests in mind, but you may not understand all of it yet, and that's okay. Just know he does have your best interest in mind. And that is why Peter is saying, don't be surprised when you're going through a painful trial. Instead, rejoice in the sufferings, which seems to be a strange statement coming from Peter. Because who would rejoice in suffering and why? People in my church family know this is a personal story I'm about to share with you all. And I know if they are watching, they will bear with me for a moment. They've heard it before. They've experienced it, unfortunately, with me. I'm thankful they did. I'm grateful they were with me. But I've been lead pastor here at this church for almost three years now. When I was first appointed the lead pastor of this church, everything in my life seemed to be going great. I was just hired as, hired as the lead pastor of this church, and God's spirit was moving throughout this church that first month. There was excitement in the air, and I was so excited about stepping into this new season of my life as I was following the Lord's leading. And I knew that God was with me and with my family. But within a month of starting this new call on my life from God, my 15-year-old son died. Now, without going into too much detail, obviously this was a devastating thing that could happen to any parent. My wife and I were still devastated over it all, of losing our son. And we're still suffering. But I want to tell you something. I understand completely now what Peter was writing about here in chapter 4. When Peter said, rejoice in your suffering. I wasn't rejoicing in the suffering of losing my son. But as I have now gone through that suffering and still continue to do so, I can truthfully tell you, I have never experienced the presence of Christ in my life like the night my son died. I have never experienced it every time that I am going through that suffering or, or remembering my son and that pain bubbles up within me. I experience the presence and the comfort of Christ. And I can rejoice in that suffering because Jesus is close to me. He's close to all those who suffer more than anyone else. You see, I'm one of his elect. 
Jesus celebrated with me the days prior to my son dying as I stepped into that new season of my life. And he mourned with me and continues to mourn with me because of my son's death. And the reason is, is Jesus is my friend. And that's what good friends do. And I rejoice in that. I cannot ever imagine a parent going through that kind of suffering without the presence of Jesus, the presence of that, that friend, God, being there by their side. Folks, let me tell you this. I have experienced the worst kind of trial a parent could ever go through, but there are many other trials in life that we will experience. I still go through those trials in life. Obviously not as difficult of a trial as losing my child, but there are plenty of other concerns and worries in life. Like how will I pay my bills this month? Not saying that's a problem, but these are problems that people may have. Will I have a job at the end of the month after this COVID-19 pandemic is over? Will I get sick? Will one of my loved ones get sick? And even in the small things, like this person over here is, is really getting on my nerves and causing me to stress out. Now, hopefully that isn't your spouse. But Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 34, Do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. And your heavenly Father knows you need them. But seek his kingdom first and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Now don't make the mistake in thinking that Jesus is going to give you everything you think you need in this life. Say that to a Christian in a third world, world country who can't feed their child. And they'll give you a pretty strange look. You see, if you read these words from Jesus in that, that verse I just shared in the full context, Jesus said it was the pagans who run after those things. Jesus knows that you need to eat food. He knows you need clothes to wear. But he says, don't focus on that. Seek the kingdom first. Because Jesus is the bread of life. The bread of life where we can face any trial or hardship head on, even while suffering through it. Because Jesus is with us and gives us the strength to endure. And that's what keeps me moving ahead after experiencing the most difficult trial and suffering of my life. It's that Jesus is with me. I have that living hope within me. As Peter said in 1 Peter verse 4, we have an inheritance that can never perish. Now let me give you an illustration before we close today of what Peter is speaking of regarding this inheritance that hopefully can drive this home for you today, especially if you're going through some difficult trial in life right now. There was this young man who was just starting off in a career after graduating college. This young man worked very hard through school, finished top of his class, as a matter of fact. He was hired at a great company with a very good starting salary, married a wonderful Christian lady. 
bought his first home, had three children. Yeah, he was, he was a pretty busy man. Everything was going great in his life. But one day this young man woke up to go to work and something didn't feel quite right. He could hardly move without getting exhausted. And this was a problem because his job required him to be on his feet all day and always on the go. That morning he got a call. He had to call in sick to work and set up an appointment to go see his doctor. Later that day after his doctor examined him and ran some tests, the doctor came back with some very devastating news. This young man was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. The doctor said he still had many years to live, but the disease would, be more, would become more deliberate, um, debilitating as the years progressed. The thought that went through this young man's mind was, how will I work? My job is so high impact. I need to be on my feet all day. How will I take care of my family? How will I pay my mortgage? How will I send my kids to college when they get older? All these thoughts came rushing to his head. The young man went home to give his wife the devastating news. That night they cried together and prayed together. And then the young man said to his wife, I, I need to call my father and mother and give them the news. And he called them. His father first answered the phone and he asked it, told his father to put his mother on the phone. Gave them the news. His father and mother both cried and they prayed with him over the phone. As the months went by, this young man finally had to give up his job. His job was too hard on his body and it was taking a big toll on his health. His wife went to work, but she wasn't making enough money to support the family in the home that they were living in. So they knew they had to sell the house. But one morning, this young man walked out to the mailbox to grab the mail and he noticed an envelope with a return address on it from his parents. When he walked in the house, he opened up that envelope and there was a check in there. The check was large enough for him to pay off his entire mortgage for his home. He knew that his father was a wealthy man, but he was still in shock. He immediately phoned his father and said, Dad, you didn't have to give me all that money. His dad replied, what are you talking about, son? That's your money. Confused, the young man asked his father, what do you mean it's my money? His father said, son, that is part of your inheritance, and you need it now. I didn't give you all your inheritance yet, just enough to get you through this hardship. And as you face more hardships, I'll give you some more of your inheritance. And then when I die, you'll get all of it. Listen, everyone, that's what Peter is speaking about. Those who are in a relationship with Jesus Christ have an inheritance in heaven beyond your imagination. It's waiting there for you that no one on this earth can ever take from you. Now, part of my inheritance is seeing my son again. But in the meantime, God is still pouring out his blessings of his inheritance while we wait for the full inheritance to come, those blessings can come in many forms. 
But the best form of all is knowing that Christ is with us here and now. And he's with you. Jesus is our living hope. By the way, I love that our church is named Living Hope because Christ is here. I want to close today by asking one more time, do you have that living hope within you? This world can strip you of everything you own or have, but it can't take away your hope. It can't take away your peace. It can't take away your joy because Jesus promised he will never leave those who he calls his elect. And he promises an inheritance beyond your imagination. I'm going to close out in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Father, thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, who has given us grace, who has given us mercy, who has given us a relationship with you. Jesus, I pray for those who, who don't know this living hope yet, that don't know, that they don't have this hope in their heart yet, Lord. Would, you, would your spirit just speak to their heart to let them know that you will be there for them if they just reach out and take the gift? And for those, Lord, that have made that decision today, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would reveal yourself in such a powerful way to help them through whatever it may be that they're dealing with. And I pray for the Christian believers today, Lord, that are, that are suffering for whatever reason, whatever trial they're going under, Lord, that your spirit would show them that you're there, would speak to their heart, would comfort them through your word. In Jesus' name we pray.